Hey, everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, the host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for themselves, their families, and most importantly, their kids. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking to Trista Hamsmith. She is the founder of a very important organization called Reese's Purpose. It's a nonprofit that works to correct safety issues impacting children and their families. I'm also joined by Melissa Fensterstock. I'm sorry, I always slip on that. Fensterstock, the CEO of Lansdowne Labs, a company developing innovative products to improve child safety. Obviously, this is a, a conversation about child safety and a, and a very important issue. And Trista, I wanted to start with you um, uh, and, and your daughter, Reese. Um, if you could tell us uh, Reese's story, and as you wonderfully named the organization that's named after her, her purpose. Yes, uh, thank you for having us today. So it was in October of 2020 that Reese woke up just snotty, stuffy, not her usual self. Um, our pediatrician has a weekend clinic, so we went ahead and pop, popped over there. And she was diagnosed with croup. Croup is a common misdiagnosis for bet and battery ingestion. So she got a steroid shot and we were sent home. It was the following day we realized there was a bet and battery missing in our home. We went straight to the ER where if they- I can, If I can just interrupt you real quick. Yeah. Just these button batteries- these are the flat little ones, really yes. small, and they have various sizes, you know, their mm-hmm. their circumference. Right. But just want to be clear with anyone who isn't aware, I wasn't really aware of this issue that much either until I, I read Reese's story. So again, I just wanted to make that yeah. clear. Very small. Okay. Yes, very small. Um, and so the larger size button batteries can actually get lodged in the esophagus. And so that's what happened with Reese. She had ingested that battery uh, we think we know it came from a remote, but we think that she dropped it on the floor and it busted open. So they confirmed that it was in there. We had emergency surgery, um, spent a few days in ICU, came home for a couple days. And before the weekend, I just I wanted eyes on her again. And so we went back and that's where we learned that even after these batteries are removed, they can continue to burn for days. And so in her case, it burned a hole through her esophagus and through her trachea, creating a fistula that connected the two. So we had air going where it didn't need to go, and we had food going where it didn't need to go. So from there, we did another surgery. I gave her a G-button so that we could uh, administer food straight to her stomach, and she came back sedated. At that point, we were to uh, wait for inflammation to go down and just come up with a plan few days later, she coded, and our little town of Lubbock, Texas, decided that we needed to go to a larger hospital, where we went to Houston and spent the rest of our time with her. Once there, we got the whole team together and came up with a game plan um, to, you know, to repair that hole and get her back to where she could be. She went through countless procedures, countless scopes, um, a 13-hour surgery, Um, Everything went well. We got it repaired. And um, then it was just waiting to have a little bit of healing to take place. And then we wanted to get her back breathing on her own again. Um, One night I'd stepped away for dinner and I got back and I heard them say administering CPR the second I turned the corner. 
she's gone eight minutes that time, but we did get her back in the consensus that she just wasn't strong enough. And so we ultimately put in a trach. Um, the morning after we put the trach in, the numbers just weren't looking right. And so they wanted to do a bedside scope. So I, I was there. And um, quickly after it started, you know, the beeping started and the numbers were dropping and um, she was gone 30 minutes, 35 minutes before they came to me and said, you know, if we get her back after this, we don't know what kind of life she will have because it had been so long. And ultimately it just wasn't the plan for her to, to be with us. When we were at Texas Children's, I had put up a Christmas tree in her room. I wanted her to wake up to the sparkly lights and, you know, the magic of Christmas that we remember as children. And underneath that tree was a little plaque that said, he has a plan and I have a purpose. And so I always knew that we were meant to do something about this. We were meant to educate. We were meant just to get the word out because we didn't know, you know, we had no idea that the batteries could do this. And of course I imagined it with Reese by my side, but that's not how it turned out. But we decided that, you know, her purpose still exists. And so after that happened, we um, decided to get out and educate people and move forward. And we created Reese's purpose, which is our nonprofit that, um, you know, through that nonprofit, we help families that are in, in the same situation. Um, we purchase headstones. We help with flights to get to the doctors that they need to get to. We, you know, anything that families need, we really try to be there for and help support. Um, we also, you know, help to advocate for the other solutions to the problem, which, you know, an early detection device is one of those. A safer battery is one of those. There's, there's so many different things and areas that we can really touch on to help this problem until we do have a permanent solution one day. This is hard to listen to. I can see all of us uh, a little emotional here. She was 18 months old. Is that right? Mm-hmm. When she wow. passed away, she was 16 months when she ingested the battery. Wow. Okay. So this was a, really a long battle to um and unfortunately you know she, it she passed away which is just horrifying but let's talk about um these batteries and and you know i think this might be a good time t- to talk to you melissa um about your labs and what you are actually doing to innovate to create i mean there's a i guess i guess this is my first question why why are these batteries used? They're used, you mean in comparison to like a double A AA or triple A? Yeah. Yes. I mean, if some of it is, it's self-explanatory because these are teeny things that need teeny batteries. Um, but I guess I've seen these batteries used in things that aren't that small that could probably take another battery. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it is simply a size thing. Yeah. It's generally a size and power, power issue. Um, the proliferation of the use of these batteries has been driven mostly by IOT and sensors and small products. So I'd say most of the devices that use them, it's really a design requirement because they all are small and have high power needs. So there are generally three volt batteries, sometimes one and a half volt batteries. So they're higher power. 
So, and and in, in things like glucose monitoring systems, something where you like medical devices, where you really need a reliable source of power and you can't afford to have them, you know, right. Brain, um, that that's often where these batteries are used. So, so, so sure, there might be some situations where they're larger, but generally it's driven by smaller devices that have high power needs. Now, do you all want these to be removed entirely from the marketplace? Do you want better designs? What is sort of your policy goal? Um, you know, what do you, what do you, um, you know, what are you um, asking? I know that the Consumer Product Safety Commission is part of this. I know you want warning labels, um, but I'm also interested as in, in if you want these taken off the market. Trista, you go first. Yeah. So, um, you know, in an ideal world, that would be perfect. Um, And, you know, we passed Reese's law this last September, which, you know, requires any, any battery, any product containing a battery to be in a secure compartment, stronger warning labels, and as well as battery, like replacement batteries that you're going to buy at the store for those to be in childproof packaging, um, of course, when we started working on legislation, I was like, you know, is this even possible? And unfortunately, we can't just take button batteries away. Right. Um, I think me and many other parents wish we, we could, but that's just not a feasible option, which is why it's important that we, we do find a safer battery. Uh, and Melissa, I don't, I don't want to cut you off if you want to um, add that's on okay. to that. I have, I have, I'm sort of going in a different direction. We can come back sure. to this, but I do want to also address the truly, I mean, I read a lot about the story and I was amazed that you actually had to, I, I, it's, it's just awful, but people were like, well, you have to be more vigilant. You should have seen it. You should have, you know, you should, it's your fault. They may not have been that cruel. I think they probably were. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I cannot stand that part of the reason that I started this podcast and it's called bespoke is to to try to take a little of the judginess out and try to get people to accept that people parent in different ways and you parent the way it's best for you whether that's breastfeeding or bottle feed, you get it right we all you we all get this right right and but that narrative i mean it i saw you talk about this once you know about how quickly it can happen how tiny these things are and how if they're not in a secure if there's not a screw securing this battery in kids play with things. And this was a remote control, correct? Yes. Um, so the first part, pe- yes, people are horrible. And um, we, we heard a lot of different, you know, pushback on, on the topic and it, you have to have thick skin, you know, to, to go into something like this. Um, I, I even had a, a fellow survivor mom or survivor of, button batteries, her child passed away. That was just awful. And I think on a topic like this, where emotions are so high, it's people do get mean. What I like to say to those people is that you do have no idea how quickly it can happen. Uh, When we realized the battery was missing, I was thinking the dogs. I mean, I didn't think any way a child would eat a piece of metal, you know? And I told my husband, I said, Hey, I said, go get a button battery. And he got one and we dropped it on the floor next to her just to see if she'd even try and pick it up. And I mean, it, it's shiny, even, sparkly thing. Yes. It's that quick. I mean, you turn to stir the soup. Right. And it's gone. It's right. done. obviously we did not let her get that battery to her mouth. Of course. But I mean, that just oh. goes to show like 
kids. I want any parent out there to tell me that they watch their child every single second. Like, do y'all not have to go tinkle? Do y'all not have other things that need to be done? Like, it's, it was really ridiculous. The things that people said. And the scary part is the people who make those comments are the ones most at risk because they have the, it won't happen to me mentality. Yes. And that's exactly who it's going to happen to. So you take this awful situation and you've turned it into this organization. Tell me a little bit about how, and I'm, yeah, I feel like I've been a little backwards in this, but your story was so, I was, I feel like I was a little, my order of questions a little off because it is so hard to hear that story and, and, and to, to hear also just what you went through personally in your family. So I'm sorry to kind of back up here, but tell me how you and Melissa sort of found each other and started working together. Yeah, so um, after we got back from Houston and had the funeral, um, you know, I had multiple people reach out. Um, it's a topic that obviously I didn't know was such a problem, but, you know, there are people out there that do know. And so Melissa and I ended up speaking because they are working on a safer battery technology, and it's a phenomenal technology. Um, and so Melissa and I have really kind of been talking and bouncing ideas off of each other since right after Reese passed away. Tell me a little, Melissa, tell me a little bit about your labs, Lansdowne Labs, its history. I know it's related to MIT um, and your, your co-founder is, is quite famous. Tell, tell us a little bit about your labs and, and, uh, and, what, and I'd love to hear about the battery technology as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to bring it full circle, actually one of my co-founders at Lansdowne had seen one of Trissa's posts um, when Reese was in the hospital Mm. Um, and so that's how at least I was made aware of what was going on. And, and then we connected shortly thereafter. Um, so it was Facebook that brought us that initially had brought us to, together. Um, so, yeah. So in terms of the history of the lab, so we've been working on this problem for well over a decade. Initially, I, I want to say it was in like the early 2010s. Um, one of Bob Langer's um, postdocs read an article in the New York Times about this being a problem and said, himself. This is, this is a 20, you know, this is modern times. Uh, This is not a problem that should go unsolved. Let me spend some of my postdoc work at MIT working on solving the problem. And so it was in that timeframe that Brian Lawlicht, my co-founder had identified some early versions of the technology. Initially it was a very different design, Um, but he, his wheels were turning even back then. And, And so Bob Langer, for those of you who don't know, is a very prolific inventor at MIT He's one of the most successful, you know, high profile inventors at MIT and is these days known for being the co-founder of Moderna. Back in 20, 2017, when I joined Lansdowne mm. Labs, Moderna was at a very different place in, in history, but now he's a household name for that. But wow. Bob is, is a wonderful, genius um, entrepreneur who, who cares very deeply about this problem and, and supported the work. And so from, you know, somewhere between 2012 to 2017, the, I, the technology was still in an academic setting. And then we spun the technology out in 2017. I joined the helm, raised capital to get the, the business going. And fast forward to today, I'm happy to bring you to where we are today. But, you know, over the course of the number of years, we've really gone through many versions and iterations of the technology that really are meant to meet the needs that are in the marketplace, meet the needs of other battery manufacturers and brands to get it to a point where it's commercially ready. And so that's essentially where we are today. 
Um, and I'm happy, yeah, happy to answer more questions. About that. Yeah, that's exciting. And I am interested if, you know, industry must also be very interested in this. They don't want this to happen. You know, remote control makers are not like, you know, oh, who cares? They, they want to make their product safe as well. And I'm sure there was an eager for eagerness for a new battery or tell me, maybe not tell me how, cause it might be more, I get it. Also costs are involved that your battery might be more expensive. So talk, break that down for me a little bit. Yes. It, so, and I'll, I'll answer this first and then I'll, I'll let Trista give her opinion as well. I think it'd be helpful to get both, both perspectives. My, this is my personal experience and perspective is that while this is a problem, it happens. Um, the liability currently doesn't sit with the battery companies, right? Their their opinion in, in a court of law would be the product was misused, the parent wasn't watching their child. There's not like a really compelling legal argument at this point in time that squarely puts that liability with the battery manufacturers. It's often the medical professionals that are sued for medical malpractice. Oh, not detecting it. Yeah. And so, and so I don't, my, my perspective is like, they're not feeling the pain enough from my liability perspective. And sure they settle and, you know, they're undisclosed amounts and it's very difficult to find out the details. I'm sure that happens and it does happen, but it's not a front and center issue for them. So putting that, you know, taking that into account, the question is, well, you know, how much should they really spend? You know, if I'm a CEO of a major battery brand, yes, it's a liability, but it's not a huge pain for me. I think there's definitely a public perception and PR problem that that they could face. And I think a lot of Trista's amazing work is bringing that more front and center. So then it comes down to, we have this cash cow. These businesses are essentially cash cows. These are mature industries with not a lot of innovation where battery companies are printing billions and billions of dollars without doing anything, right? And so to shake that up, is, is not an easy, is not an easy feat. And so there's this hesitancy, in my opinion, again, to adopt innovation that would solve this problem if it costs more, right? Of the question is how much more would a battery company be willing to spend to solve this problem? And there is a general consensus that it's not much more, right? And so that's the really difficult part of this equation. It's like, we have a solution that works. It would solve this problem. Um, but it's going to cost a little bit more. And so whether it's 10 cents or 20 cents or 30 cents, right? Like we're not talking dollars more and we're not, but you know, there's this, this perspective that it needs to be pennies. And I, I, I fundamentally disagree with that. And, you know, you look at other industries, you look at organic baby food, people pay dollars more. You look at BPA free bottles, right? If you ask parents, are you willing to spend more, more money for a safer product? The answer is yes. But because this industry is such a mature industry, not particularly innovative, very cost sensitive. There's a huge resistance to adapt, adopting anything that mm. adds incremental cost beyond what they think is acceptable. And so that's kind of where we're at and why I think legislation is so important and what Trist is working on is so important. We really need to get consumers to say, this is a problem. You big battery companies need to fix it. And until they really feel that pressure, I think we're going to be in this. Um, Fascinating. And by the way, you know, Lansdowne Labs has heard consistently from multiple battery companies. Yes, we're interested, but we need it cheaper. Okay, so now we're going to make it make a cheaper version. But in my opinion, the big battery companies should be the ones doing this, this work, not a startup with limited resources. Yeah, it's interesting to me that that you're doing this research and that there are the interest. I want to get to you, too, because I know you've dealt with probably dealt with these companies, too. But are are you the innovator? I mean, are you the one sort of leading? Is there any other development uh, of these safer batteries going on? It sounds like there's not. 
we're by far the farthest along. Sure, there's some ideas and some people who are tinkering huh. with technology, but just, I mean, it, there's so much legwork that goes into bat- battery development, timelines. Yeah, sure, you might have an idea that works, but it ha- the really difficult piece is cost, manufacturability, scalability. It is really, I, I have to say, yeah. I, I, Melissa, I'm like thrown, I'm shocked. I'm really, it's, this is very important then that we, and, you know, and, you know, I, as far as BPA, I spent a lot of time writing about f- what I consider are false fears. I don't think or, uh, organic is very well known not to be any better than conventional. And, and, and BPA, you know, they just put BPS in it. They just replace it with another product that isn't harmful at those levels. And so what frustrates me is that those things get attention. Um, and we, ter- we tell people poor mothers to buy expensive baby food. Um, but there's what we should be talking about are real things like teeny batteries getting lodged in your 18 month old throat. So that frustrates me as well. Trish, uh, you know, I, I want to throw to you, Trista, because I know you deal with these companies and, and what has your experience been? I'm sure you've reached out to them and talked to them. What has your experience been? Um, you know, I, I have spoken with quite a few different battery companies Um and probably each one I spoke with along the way, we were at a different point in, you know, the process of what, what Reese's purpose was working on. Um, you know, I think for, for larger companies, the ch- change is hard, you know, and business is business. So it does boil down to money, unfortunately. But I think the question is, how much money would you put on your child's life? And I think that... Because of how the Lord did work through all of this and brought so much attention to it, we were really able to leverage Reese and get other parents to start speaking out that we're almost at a point that we're forcing battery companies to have to start looking at paying attention and hopefully doing something, you know, in the time to come. Business is business. And I mean, they're looking at their bottom line. And yeah, so they have the wild card come out and make a scene, which I guess was me. And um, so, I've, I, you know, I'm interested to see what's coming in the future and hopefully the changes that we will see made. And, you know, for companies that start to care about these children that are affected, um, you know, there's there's been Lansdowne Labs and one other battery company that I feel like genuinely cares about the solution. Um, you know, better late to the game than never for some, but I, I am hopeful that the changes will take place needed as we move forward. Well, you know, nobody begrudges a company wanting to make money. That is their job and they're beholden right. to their shareholders and they have to um, look at that. But I do think, you know, child safety is really interesting. It's so interesting. Melissa talks about liability. It's like they don't see it really as they're, they're not the ones paying. Ultimately, they may pay settlements here and there, but ultimately they don't pay a, a large price that would then require them to do a total pro, pro, you know, product redesign. Um, it is interesting, though, that once these are designed toy companies, as I say that, I realize it was a remote control, though. So, you know, parents have to stay vigilant. Tell me, you know, while we still work for, for, for changes, tell me about Reese's law. And, and that's, that's a, a good step in the right direction. So tell me what, what you accomplished with Reese's law. Right. So, you know, 
toys have a standard that they have to be in a secure compartment. And that's fantastic. But I think where the ball was dropped is that our children live in our homes. They are around products that are not toys like remote controls. And we all know children love to play with remote controls. Yes. Yep. So, you know, that's where I felt like it was important with Reese's Law that we get all products required to have that secure compartment because they they do live here. So that was the first big part of it. You know, I look at it in phases as far as how my foundation is working. Um, the first was the faulty product. And so the CPSC is working diligently, and I'm, I'm so impressed with the work they're putting in. I cannot even begin to start there. But they're working to help find the right way to close these batteries, and, and we should have an answer to that by the end of August, and hopefully sooner. Um, so, you know, that part's important. And then the warning labels, we need something that's really going to get parents' attention. Like, most of us just kind of squeeze past the warning label, Right. It needs to be stronger there. So working on that as well. And then, you know, we have lots of battery companies that send batteries in from overseas that just have the flimsy cardboard. And like at the dollar store, like at children's eye level, like that has to change. So those are kind of the three big points of Reese's Law. Um, Past that, like I said, I kind of look at it in steps. And so the second thing that would have changed what happened for us was if we would have gotten the diagnosis when we were actually at the doctor. And so that's where the early detection device is important. And um, Reese's purpose is actually funding this device to get it into clinicals. And we, we kind of made our official announcement at our golf tournament this last Monday. So is this like a scanner? What (laughs) tell me, describe it for me. Well, that I, I am not going to be educated enough to completely explain it, but yes. This is just a podcast. (laughs) I think that would be a a proper explanation. Yeah. Um, So then past that, you know, if we had caught it at the doctor, that would have changed it. But past that, if we had a safer battery, then yes, we still would have had to have it removed. You know, we still would have those things. The scanner would have helped us find out it was there. But having that safer battery that is deactivated when ingested would have prevented the burns from happening. Melissa, this is a great time for you to come in and tell me about this new battery. I don't want you to be uncomfortable and tell things that you're not, but as much as you can, how is your battery different? Sure. So we have, um, we've modified a component of the battery with a component that um, would essentially prevent the chemical burns from happening in the first place. So when you when you look at a standard battery, you have an anode and a cathode, it's basically the top, the plus and minus of the battery. And what happens when it's ingested is that the current is completed with the saliva that allows the current to flow between the anode and the cathode. And so you basically get oh. a current and that leads to the burn. And so what our solution does is it prevents that reaction from taking place. So it's almost as if the battery is... Um, it's like as if you ingested a dime or a nickel, right? That's brilliant. Thank you. Yes, it took many years of development. and that we- is, Well, but why it's so brilliant is it doesn't rely on the remote control being secured. Be, the, the battery case, it doesn't, it doesn't, the safety doesn't rely on the product having, I mean, yeah. I know you're still working for that and that's sure. great. No, no, it especially- would be safe in a product. It'd be, you know, safer in a product. It'd be yes. Right, right. It doesn't but, affect battery performance. I'm sorry, what's your question? No, I, I'm, I'm probably not being clear here. The okay. thing that 
concerns me is you have this battle. So these, you know, I know that the old batteries will still be used. So we do need secure containers holding the battery. But if there was a, a, eventually a total switch, it, then these batteries, if they do get out, I, I just, I worry about manufacturers changing their containers to be secure, um, especially with imports from other countries. You can't um, necessarily require those things. So the brilliance of a battery that doesn't create that current and does, then doesn't create that burn is wonderful. Of course, you need every every um, manufacturer to to adopt these safer batteries. But it is it's a it's a brilliant solution. Um, you know, I I thought it wasn't swallowable or something, but this is this is very exciting. It is. And Trista speaks to this, you know, how you have to attack the problem from multiple angles, right? Safer compartments, safer batteries, it's it's everything. And so I'm so impressed with what Trista and the CPSC has accomplished with passage of Reese's Law. My opinion and belief is that a safer battery, while there may be one new altruistic player in the industry that steps ahead and says we want to do the right thing, I, I'm not betting on that. I'm betting on us needing to say, that it's a regulation and that it's part of further legislation. And that's the way you're going to get companies to fall into line. When you look at other industries like, you know, climate or, um, or other safety products like yeah. seatbelts, right. They are mandated right. by law, right. Yeah. It's not like the, the, the I mean, I think seatbelts are a better, you know, better example, right. Like auto companies didn't choose to put necessarily seatbelts in, right? They cost more money. And sure, some of the premium car manufacturers may have done that in the early days, but it's not until the government said, you have to do this to protect lives, that it became something that you have to do, right? And it's the same thing here. And that's what we're building towards. And that's what Lansdowne Labs is pushing for, is to get this product far enough out there and into the market you know, soon so that we can go to all go to Senator Blumenthal, who is the champion of Reese's Law, and say, hey, we're ready. Please start mandating this because I don't have faith in the industry doing it on its own. I just don't see it happening. You know, we are uh, the Independent Women's Forum is is very critical of most regulations, but we're not anti-regulation. And we certainly don't believe that there should be it should just be the Wild West, everything, you know, whatever it's and, you know, good luck. It's we believe in smart regulations. And this seems to be one that we would really look at, take a hard look at because of the danger, debt, the, the, the risk of death um, for children. And again, because these are so ubiquitous, they are in everything. They're used in everything. And children, you know, we were like, kids love to play with remotes. My children love to eat remotes. I mean, they would like chew on anything they, they could get their hands on. So this is really interesting. And I would um, urge conservatives not to sort of knee jerk dismiss this. Yes, there are some uh, there are some costs involved, but um, but this to me again, you know, I'm in the business of of uh, looking at an issue and saying, is this really really um, risky, and are we overblowing this? And to me, this is a serious hazard, a serious thing. I want to, Melissa, just go back to at the very beginning. You know, you were talking about like parents will pay for safer items. You know, they will pay. Um, it is amazing to me that no, you know, smart marketing guy at a battery company is going, let's do this. When you look at consumer statistics, it is women that are making most of the purchases from minivans to light bulbs. It's the women who are making the purchases and the choices. They are the ones selecting the items. My husband can't even get on the Amazon app. He doesn't even know how, thank God. But the the point is, is that it, it, it really amazes me outside of the regulatory space. It amazes me that no one sees an opportunity here. 
Well, we, we have the data. So we, we did marketing studies. We found that consumers were willing to spend a 30 to 40% premium on a safer product that like such as ours. And so the data is there. And these products at retail are $7.99, $8.99. Duracell launched a bitter battery. They're charging a 34 to 30 to 40% premium in the retail markets I'm seeing. So they obviously see the benefit in retail. Um, so you can charge dollars more, right? So if it costs, let's just say it's cost 20 cents more, but you could charge a dollar more. Like it's a no brainer, right? And even passing along the cost of the consumer, the consumer is willing to pay it. So I struggle with the pushback that I've gotten from marketing departments and the battery companies. I think where they struggle is more on the OEM side of their business, which is where you're buying, for example, an AirTag. Now, by the way, AirTags, the battery literally falls out of it. So anyone on this call, if you have air tags at home, like I've I've ma- I've used masking tape to seal mine closed, they just fall out. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so those are horrifyingly horrifying to me. Um, and so when you're selling a battery to an Apple or a Sony, like they're looking for the cheapest price possible, and they're paying you know ten cents, fifteen cents right. for the battery. So to add add substantial cost there does really hurt the bottom line. You're looking at like potentially doubling or tripling the cost of those batteries. Yeah. It's, it's a balance. And I, and I get that, but I'm with you. I think the marketing de- department should be all over this, but at the end of the day, it comes down to dollars and cents. Well, certainly, you know, uh, the Trista Reese's story is a hugely moving story. Um, and I, I love that she is still alive and with us and, and 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 working on a, a very important mission and i can't thank you enough for bringing her story to us and for sharing you are incredibly strong to to tell your story and to really live it when you when you are working on this this mission um that's a that's a hard thing to do so i really appreciate you being with us today thank you and Melissa, I, I will really, I will enjoy watching this uh, new product come on the market and I will be a purchaser myself. So, um, so thank you for all you're doing um, to further Reese's purpose as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having, having us. Great. Thank you both. Well, I'm going to get off of this podcast and go for a good cry, but that was a really important topic. And I really do encourage everyone listening today Look at products that have those small batteries. Um, put t- if it's not in a secure, if it's not in a, uh, if the case is not secure, tape it shut. Especially if you have little kids. Um, and thank you for listening today. The Bespoke Parenting Podcast with Julie Gunlock is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can send comments and questions to me at j at julie.gunlock at iwf.org. Please help me out by hitting the subscribe button. That really does help. And leaving a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Google Play, YouTube, or iwf.org. Hang in there, parents, and go bespoke.